Women's Health Melbourne is a boutique specialist fertility and women's health practice, caring for women at all life stages. We're proud to provide world-class holistic medical care, including IVF and a range of other fertility treatments. We provide our patients with every opportunity to achieve their goals. Our two Melbourne locations are in Fitzroy and our new state-of-the-art Caulfield practice. Reach us at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au and you can follow both Women's Health Melbourne and Dr Radia Lou on the socials. Welcome back, Georgia, to Knocked Up. Thanks, Geordie and Ralia. Thanks for having me back. I know we've had you on before, but I think it's important to explain again, what is a naturopath? Okay, great. Um, A naturopath is a health practitioner trained to assess and support patients. um, And and, um, it really encompasses... Uh, a number of different modalities, including nutrition, herbal medicine, and counselling. We are trained in a four-year health science degree, and we make health assessments based on both clinical diagnosis as well as pathology and asking a lot, a lot of questions in consultation. I personally came out of that degree, that health science degree, with a real passion for women's health, and that's where it's led me. I went on to do a certificate in fertility education and also breastfeeding counselling and education because I knew that those were areas where I wanted to take my degree. We're talking today, we're responding to a listener question about lockdown which we're slowly coming out of, and how the stress of lockdown has affected our cycles. I'm not really sure where to start here. Do we talk about the effects stress can have on our bodies? Well, maybe we should start by talking about the menstrual cycle, just to give it some context. Yes. What is a menstrual cycle? So it should happen every 28 days. And why? how does it change normally? Well, not necessarily. I mean, that's an average So the average woman will have a 28-day menstrual cycle, but when we look at any biological characteristics, not everyone is exactly average. So, for example, I'm bang on average for height for the average Australian woman, but if someone was a couple of centimetres taller than me or a couple of centimetres shorter than me, there wouldn't actually be necessarily anything wrong with that. There's variation in our populations in every biological thing and periods are no different. So while you can say the average cycle is 28 days, some very healthy, very regular women might have a 26-day cycle or a 30-day cycle or a 32-day cycle. So there's a big variation in what is normal and you may be normal but not average. But, you know, a lot of textbook explanations and a lot of simplistic explanations that we find particularly online really are based on averages and they may not necessarily convey accurate information to an individual. And I think that's really where coming in to see a health professional like Georgia 
or like myself, if you are confused about what's going on with your menstrual cycle, or particularly uh, in my case, if you're finding that your menstrual cycle is not only out of the norm and out of the average, but way off kelter, then, you know, we can work out maybe why that is and ways that we can think of to correct the situation based on your needs and your circumstances. I think one of the other things about that uh, average kind of cycle is that what I find and a big question that I ask people is, has your cycle always been around 27 days or 33 days? And if so, then that feels like that is very normal for that person. But when somebody comes and they talk about how things used to be a certain way and now they've changed significantly or now things that, you know, some months will be 26 days and some months will be 33 days, I feel like any change in what has been average and normal for that person is more interesting, I think, than the actual number of days of their cycle goes for in some cases. Yeah, I agree. And I think also it's important to know that there's not only variation woman to woman, there's actually a little bit of variation cycle to cycle in the same woman that doesn't necessarily mean there is a problem because we're not machines, we're human beings and we're you know creatures of biology and not every ovarian follicle that contains an egg has exactly the same number of cells and doesn't necessarily make exactly the same amount of hormone that drives the cycle so things can be a little bit different and these are also areas that it's a potential target for intervention if there are concerns so understanding the cycle is really important. I think that is a great segue into this whole topic about stress because we really know that stress both a physical stress on the body like when a woman is maybe overdoing it in terms of exercise and you know not really looking after her body in terms of what it needs or like you know over time like how a mental stress might, you know, impact on you physically, that all of these things are often a time when a cycle will change. And so I think that it's it's a really kind of great way lead into that the topic that stress really can impact and therefore change our menstrual cycles and and therefore our fertility. Menstrual cycle starts in the normal way when a woman has a nadir in her estrogen or a low point in her estrogen. This usually happens at the very, very beginning of the cycle just as she is having her period. And it is the stimulus for the brain to release follicle-stimulating hormone. Follicle-stimulating hormones, the hormone we use a lot in IVF, and in the natural world, it engenders a bit of a competition between several follicles in the ovary, each of which contains an egg. And as humans, we have a process where most of the time we select one egg in a menstrual cycle in a little competition and we aim to have one baby at a time. Occasionally two eggs are equals and that's how twins happen in nature, although twins can also happen from one egg splitting. As the egg and the follicle, which is the hormone-producing factory in the ovary surrounding the egg, ripens and becomes mature, it makes estrogen in the first part of the menstrual cycle. This is a happy hormone. It makes us feel good. It makes us feel sexually interested. And in the uterus, it makes the lining grow. 
and become cushiony and ready to receive potentially an embryo. It makes the cervical mucus fertile, so it makes it stretchy and sometimes described as egg whitey in nature. And it is a really important phase of the menstrual cycle that peaks at an estrogen level that's slightly different in every woman, but that peak in estrogen is what causes our brain to register that we're ready to ovulate. And the brain then sends another big surge of both follicle-stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone. And this is what some women who are tracking their cycle might pick up on urine in an ovulation kit. So it's not actually picking up the event of ovulation, but it's picking up the surge, which is the brain's instruction to the ovary that it's time to ovulate. Ovulation generally happens about 37 or 40 hours after that surge is detected. Then what happens is the follicle, the very clever follicle around the egg or where the egg was released from at this point, switches gears and instead of making mainly estrogen, it turns to make mainly progesterone. And progesterone is the hormone of pregnancy. It prepares the lining of the uterus to receive an implanting embryo And it's very clever that the exact amount of progesterone needed to get the uterine lining ready uh, is corresponding to the exact amount of time that it takes an embryo developing to travel down the fallopian tube and reach the womb. So nature is so clever and it's a perfectly designed system when it goes right. Mm. And then when the embryo reaches the womb, there's a two-way communication between the embryo and the endometrium, the lining, and they both have to be in the same time zone, speaking the same language for implantation to occur. And this is kind of like the holy grail of IVF. We try and make that happen in the same way that it happens completely without effort in a natural, healthy, fertile menstrual cycle. In terms of then what happens is the body is geared for pregnancy whether we want to be pregnant or whether we don't want to be pregnant, the body is geared for pregnancy. And the body waits for a signal from the implanting embryo in the form of HCG, uh, human chorionic gonadotrophin, (laughs) hard to say. And the HCG pregnancy hormone is what tells the progesterone-making factory on the ovary that it needs to stay alive. In the absence of that signal, that factory will have a time where it will no longer produce progesterone because it's like, it's like I, I use the analogy of the pool game Marco Polo. You have call and response. So the embryo calls or the developing pregnancy calls with HCG and if the corpus luteum or the progesterone-making factory hears that signal correctly, then it should respond with progesterone. So If there is no pregnancy or if there's not a competent pregnancy that's not making enough HCG or if there's not a competent corpus luteum that's not making enough progesterone, a period will come. And that generally happens about two weeks after ovulation in a healthy menstrual cycle timeline. And then it starts again. So I guess the requisites for all of this happening is that the brain has to be communicating with the ovary, the ovary has to be communicating with the uterus, and the woman has to have all of the right building blocks 
available to her to create those healthy steroid hormones to support a pregnancy. And if any of those elements goes wrong, it won't happen. So what can go wrong when you're stressed? Well, stress is one thing that can go wrong, but maybe Georgia, do you want to talk to how, you know, stress can affect us? I mean, I mentioned that, you know, we are not machines and our brains don't just function, you know, in isolation of our environment. We're very much affected by our surroundings and our dynamics and what's going on. Yeah, so I think, you know, what you've touched on in terms of that conversation that needs to happen in the brain and, you know, from the hypothalamus and in terms of knowing how much hormones to produce and what is is going on, when I think stress can really impact on that communication in the brain and from the brain into the, you know, into the ovaries and, you know, that communication system when it comes to stress can be really fragile and um the body is just very clever in that when there is high amounts of stress in the body, the body won't allow things that it knows require a lot of love and attention to happen. And so it's a, it's a lack of protective mechanism that stress will alert the body that it's not the right time for certain things to be happening. And I think that is just so, so, so clever and, um, and like we, exactly what Rayleigh was talking about, that there's a normal sort of system that will occur every month, stress will just completely, can completely throw that off. And it's a, it's a fragile system, that, but it's very much there to protect us. And so even though that can be very hard when you are looking to get pregnant, knowing that not every month is going to necessarily be as, as your opportunity to get pregnant is really going to depend on what is happening for you at that time. And your, and your body will protect you from the pregnancy if that, if there are such high levels of stress going on. Yeah. I think we've got to remember also that our modern lifestyle is something that has not been with us for very long. And even if you flip back a hundred years, it was so common for women not to survive childbirth and pregnancy and for children not to survive as well for babies not to survive so our biology knows that pregnancy is without the luxury of modern midwifery and medical care it's a dangerous event probably the most dangerous event in a woman's life dangerous for herself and the life of her baby dangerous for her other children should she be lost so biology is, as Georgia said, very clever and it doesn't want a woman to be pregnant if it perceives, if the body perceives there's a risk that puts her in this very dangerous state at even higher risk than the natural risks of pregnancy. And I think we know we see that as early as, you know, when the body is attempting to ovulate and if things aren't right, our sex drive will be lower, you know, that the hormones that we are normally and naturally will be coming around that time that might encourage somebody to have the desire to have a baby, um, you know, that will even be compromised. So it can start, you know, really the hormones that when the systems are all in beautiful harmony will, you know, entice you even at that time of the month, you know, that can be, you know, sex drive, you know, requires energy. And so even as early as at that time, 
the you know the energy that require that you, you know you're required to have the desire can be really lost and then uh, that's obviously just one thing and other systems will obviously be very affected also we find that when people are very stressed things like digestion can really be impacted depending on how long stress goes on for it can really have deep issues in terms of i mean sleep uh, mood disorders weight gain you know autoimmune conditions stress over a significant amount of time really starts to become embedded in lots of systems in the body but i think fertility is one that it doesn't take all of that all that much i think the stress if you're carrying a lot of stress fertility can quite quickly be disrupted if you do have an average cycle and you might normally have a 28 day cycle and ovulate around day 14 that can be you know really impacted by two or three days just from small amounts of stress and then you know the second part of your cycle can there will therefore be shorter and not necessarily have as much time to do what it needs to do in terms of implantation really i think stress can be more kind of acute and it can be something like a very stressful thing that happens just in that you know something's happened at that time of the month maybe you know you've lost your job or you know you have something very stressful going on at work or with your family and it can have you know an impact on fertility very quickly and then i think though as stress goes on and it's more extended which we would have seen a lot i think around covid and that really kind of long term stress that people have been having especially in victoria and obviously many countries around the world that stress can become embedded and really start to have play havoc on so many systems not just with your fertility I agree. And I think there've been two groups of patients that I've really noticed have had significant changes during this time. One group is the hypo-hypo group. So my patients who, for whatever reason, whether it's being very slim, being maybe um, some personality traits, being hyper-anxious, some times there are some history of particularly in adolescence a eating disorder in the formative years as well and also patients who have had a history in their teenage years particularly of being an elite athlete sometimes that messaging from the brain to the ovary either never established really properly in a healthy persistent way to result in a regular menstrual cycle or it's quite as Georgia said fragile so when you already have a fragile system adding stress whether that is the stress of infertility or whether it's the stress of coronavirus restrictions can push you over the edge if you're teetering on a very delicate balance and I've noticed that for those patients especially in therapies like ovulation induction the threshold for a response is higher. So the amount of medication that we need when we're trying to induce ovulation to push them to ovulate is a bit higher than normally I would expect. And I think that's a, a, an emotional stress effect. So interesting. Yeah, and the other group that I've really noticed have had uh, effects are the PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome group of patients that I treat. 
So PCOS is really interesting. It's one of my favorite areas because it's one of the ways that as a fertility specialist, I get to use all my skills and try for the most part to achieve natural conception uh, for my patients. And I've noticed that it's a spectrum. Sometimes PCOS is very dominated by genes and insulin resistance. Sometimes it's dominated by, with you have to have the genetic tendency, but sometimes it's dominated by lifestyle. And sometimes it can be really affected by things like body weight and metabolism. So there are different people who are really affected in different ways. But I've noticed that for my PCO patients, this lockdown has also been associated, unfortunately, against everybody's will really with a reduced ability to exercise. And, you know, in Melbourne, for sure, we were asked for a long time not to leave our house for more than an hour a day. And while, of course, there are creative ways that we can exercise at home, it's much, much harder, particularly when people were managing their PCOS by things like regular gym work and caloric restriction and all of these things are a little bit more difficult I think in COVID times and we've seen people find it that much harder I think to really work on those diet and lifestyle factors alone. So I've been doing a lot more ovulation induction therapy for that group than I would say normally do because often for women with PCOS, particularly at the milder end of the spectrum, really educating about diet and lifestyle is very powerful and even adding sometimes some nutritional supplements to reduce carbohydrate absorption and giving some milder medications like metformin to adjust metabolism, maybe all that's required to help them get pregnant. I'm finding that I'm doing more active ovulation induction at the moment with medications like letrozole and clomiphene and, and follicle-stimulating hormone directly. And as we're slowly coming out of lockdown and discovering new normal, what are some things we can do to get ourselves back into good habits? What are like some checks we can make? Well, look, I think it's really great if anybody is at that kind of lower level of interve- intervention spectrum Um, particularly they're just thinking about starting a family or maybe not even planning a family yet but concerned about their periods to come and see someone like Georgia. I'm very much aware that there is not a one-size-fits-all solution. There are lots of healthy living tips but, you know, there's not a one-size-fits-all solution. I'm very much into bespoke medical care and targeting advice to the individual and I think that really is not something that can be achieved through reading a blog or following an Instagram feed or googling. I think what you find there is very much generic information that may be completely alien to your circumstance. So I think meeting with someone like Georgia and having a a really holistic lifestyle and health review is really great and that's a fantastic place to start. Some people do need medical help and there are lots of problems that we haven't really talked about that can cause dramatic menstrual cycle irregularity. 
sometimes there are underlying reasons why someone cannot get pregnant that won't be found out unless we do a whole lot of tests. And I think that's a really lovely way where we interface actually in our clinic because as the medical specialist, I can organize all those tests and investigations. And someone like Georgia can help work on aspects of health holistically, both for male and female, to optimize the chance of pregnancy in that context, but also just to optimize menstrual health and um, holistic health for a woman if she's not trying to get pregnant. I think that is really like a really, really key point because when I when somebody comes to me and they've already have had testing done and they able am able to see you know any blood testing or ultrasound results and really kind of understand that through what through Raylia's investigations uh, what really is going on um, I still ask the, you know a lot of questions and really want to understand how that that diagnosis has impacted that person because we don't all respond in the same way to the same conditions but really being able to understand based on medical investigation, what is going on internally is makes my job a lot easier, takes the guessing work out of it because even though I always ask, you know, many, many questions, having that sort of diagnosis is just another really um, very transparent uh, information. It's, I mean, the accuracy then with what herbs to give, what nutrients might help them, how we can help that communication uh, that's going on between the brain and the ovary. You know, we know that there are certain herbs that will help to, with that communication, bring that communication back. Um, even nutrients, you know, things like zinc um, can really, you know, help with that regulation of that conversation that's going on. So it's not to say that we always need to have investigations in, in many cases, it is can just be about optimising the diet, about helping with stress levels. You know, things aren't always complicated. There are many, many women who obviously will not struggle to get pregnant and will um, not have a difficult time and that they may just need to adjust a, a few little things to get their ovulation back on track, to have a regular cycle. Um, but in cases where things are more complicated, um, it is absolutely um, necessary and fantastic for me to be able to be able to read the sort of reports about what investigations have, have said about that person. Another group I think that are suffering a lot, Georgia, that is an interest area of yours more so than, than mine, obviously I'm interested but it's not something I deal with in my day-to-day -day work, is new mums in this isolation. I mean, being a new mum is quite isolating in the first place when you've got a newborn baby and you're at home with your baby. Uh, but I think in the context of this prolonged isolation and being worried about babies going into the community and not having the support of other mums, um, that can probably be a very isolating experience. I, I think that is very, very accurate with what's going on now and in general. I think having a new baby can be very, well, it's all things that are new can take time to adjust and it can be stressful. But I also think 
pregnancy is very depleting on women. Birth, you know, can be extremely depleting depending on the sort of birth that you have and how much blood you've lost and, you know, if you've had surgery. And then for those women that then go on to breastfeed, even though there's so many incredible benefits, it can again be like another depleting element. And so there is so much that can be done in terms of nutrition, stress support, emotional support, even just good, really good sort of sleep routines, having, knowing how to have people be able to support you and being able to just um, really look after yourself, even though we all, we know as mothers that that is a very challenging thing. It's not an easy thing. Finding ways and tools to help to, you know, boost our energy, to help with sleep, to help with stress levels, even to help with milk supply. There are so many things that that we can do to help with stress around this time. Um, I even think just having support, whether it's from, you know, any sort of practitioner, it can be very helpful, whether it's that you get a massage once a fortnight or once a month to help with your stress levels and just feeling that somebody is there to hold you and support you in that stressful time when you might not feel like you want to lean on friends and and family and also to have that expertise in terms of what else can I be doing to support myself during this time and then as we know a lot of women will go on to have another baby and so helping to like make sure that they get them their health you know and their nutrient levels and everything and and obviously at that point, having, you know, ovulation return and getting their cycles back on track. Um, all of these things can be really supported by, by the, right, uh, the right help and support. Yeah, so I would so encourage any of my patients who are loyal, locked up, not loyal, knocked, locked up, knocked up <laughs> listeners, um, that if you are planning baby number two or baby number three and you do want to reach out, and do what you can to optimise health in the lead-up to that pregnancy, uh, feel free to get in touch with Georgia. She'd love to help you and walk you through that time. And as a mum who did experience difficulties breastfeeding, particularly my first baby, uh, I think, you know, it's invaluable to have a trusted source of advice and support there. There's so much information you kind of need to know what to do, but you also kind of need to know what not to do because if you try and do everything that you read online, it can be totally overwhelming and some of the advice is good and some of the advice is, you know, probably unwarranted. So having that professional support one-on-one is, I think, invaluable. I think what we have access to online and, you know, even though there is so many amazing things about it, that in itself can cause so much stress, no matter what, no matter what topic we're talking about and what you're listening, you know, what you're looking at. I just think uh, it's so important if, if you do like to look at information online is, is actually finding the right voice and the right person and not just sort of reading every, you know, clicking on anything that comes up, but looking at uh, people who are very, you know, educated and, Really, really being selective with who you choose to follow and read about because I just find it's it can that in itself just can be extremely stressful. 
I totally agree. I think what, if you ask me a key difference in my practice now to even five or six years ago, I would say that in my practice five or six years ago, there's always been stress around fertility, but patients used to stress about their situation and what was happening to them. Now, I think in addition to that, patients are stressing about things that are completely unrelated to their situation. So it's not just dealing with their circumstances and the conditions that we're managing. It's also dealing with their perceptions of conditions that they absolutely don't have, but that their friend or their neighbor has had or that their Facebook group friend has had. And it's really overwhelming, I think, for patients. I certainly get asked more and more in consultations about things that my patients have read about online as opposed to things that are actually pertinent to their situation. So I don't really know how to deal with that other than just reassure in the individual circumstance. Uh, But I think it also does engender a little bit of, I guess, concern. If a patient's read about something on the line and their doctor hasn't talked about it, it's probably because it's not relevant to that patient's circumstances as opposed to their doctor not being aware of it. And um, I think it's symptomatic maybe of a, a, a lack of trust in medical professionals, which is, which is something that's been you know, a huge swing. I think people used to just, and I still have patients like this, by the way, who say, oh, anything you say, doctor, you just say what to do and I'll do it. But I think that probably used to be the norm as opposed to the exception. I think now it's pretty much the exception. And now people are, I think, very critical, which is good, but it is really hard to have the knowledge to really understand, I think, these issues deeply. And a superficial understanding can be a real misunderstanding. The other thing I would say, particularly in fertility medicine, is science moves quickly. And there are certain things that we used to think might have been a good idea 10, 15 years ago that still have a shadow or a ghost or a residue in the popular media but actually have been proved, unfortunately, not to be so effective. So there are therapies I find that patients come and talk to me about which I know don't work but that they have read online and been interested in. An example of that is endometrial scratch, for example, Um, which it used to be thought that causing trauma to the lining of the uterus in a uterus where there had been some implantation concerns might be helpful. It's been robustly proved that that's not the case through huge scientific studies, but I still have patients asking for it. It's one of those things that even though from a medical perspective it's gone completely out of fashion, it um, is something patients still read about online. I I think... I think also in terms of reading online, that is something we're doing a lot of in lockdown and in the coronavirus space. That's what's so great about things like this podcast really is that, I mean, I don't think, I mean, we know that even 20, 30 years ago, you didn't have medical doctors who have expertise in an area doing something like this. So maybe you would go and kind of find information from somewhere from a neighbor from wherever but I feel like they're um you know that's why being selective with what what you choose is important but like people are so I think very lucky like whether it's this podcast or or another I think having a a medical expert 
sharing their years of knowledge um, is is that's a great choice when it comes to all of the information out there. It's a really great choice to go to you know somebody you know in the country that you live in who you know has you know expert qualifications and be able to that, that's a very trusted source that is free and available for people to be able to just listen to or read. And I think that it's very we're very lucky to be able to have that. But it's available. There are great sources of information available for free for people it's just about being really selective with what you choose to listen to and being taking information from people who who really know what they're talking about it's almost like going back to year 12 when we had to learn about which sources of information were to be trusted and which ones not and it that's the same now is where do you get your information from I know it's really important that you see someone specifically for your conditions who's aware of what you're going through. For the sake of people who can't get in with someone straight away um, and because of restrictions, what are some good steps that you can take to get started? Yeah, I I would um, never sort of recommend, you know, herbs you know, just generalised herbs. I think it's really important to get specific information for whatever is going on for you. But I definitely think nutrition and diet is an excellent, excellent starting place for everyone. Um, we spoke, we've spoken before about taking away the plastics, eating food that is, you know, that you know what you're eating, you know, lots of vegetables, lots of fruit, good quality proteins, whether it's eggs or chicken, fish, uh, lots of nuts whole grains, really like knowing what you're eating and taking away kind of that idea of being too obsessed with specific sort of things, but rather focusing on just whole foods and and really looking after yourself in terms of, you know, making sure that you're drinking a lot of water. You know, the body needs a lot of water. So making sure that you're having, you know, good quality nutrition, lots of water, healthy fats. You know, we know that saturated fats you know, and not as healthy for us as things like olive oil, even using butter, you know, which is just a natural food source over, you know, using things that have been highly processed. All of these things, just getting back to basics can be just a very, very good starting place. And I think obviously when it comes to somebody who has like what Riley was talking about, something like PCOS, those things are not necessarily going to be enough to help transform somebody's diet um, in a way that it, you know, might need to get their blood sugar levels down and you know they may need more specific herbal medicine to help improve their ovulation and cycle regularity but I think if we just look at getting back to basics and really supporting our body in terms of healthy whole food you know nutrition I think that is a really really great place to start and I think sleep cannot be underestimated I think turning off screens earlier than what you are in order to be able to wind down at night time and, and go to sleep um, without having to, you know, lie in bed awake or people, you know, getting that second um, wind and often like staying up and, and, you know, going again and keeping on working late at night. But really I think if we get even basic things like just having an excellent sleep routine, all of these things which seem so, so basic, can have a huge, huge impact on on every system, and and of course, that in you know means on your fertility and reproductive system also. And I think those basic things 
need to be looked at as the really core building blocks for getting your fertility and reproductive system healthy and on, on track. Thank you, Georgia and Raylia, for today's conversation. Hopefully not much lockdown left, but uh, it's good to know that there's plenty of resources out there to support us as we come out of it and experience different stress. And we'll put links to resources in the show notes. Now, Georgia, if anyone listening today wants to know where they can find you, it might be about fertility, it might be about in-between babies, it might be about pregnancy, where can they get hold of you? I am very lucky to be in the team at Women's Health Melbourne and I work in clinic on Thursdays under normal circumstances and also um, available via telehealth. And I have my own website where you can use that booking link there, which is naturopathgeorgia.com.au or also through the Women's Health Melbourne website or through the lovely girls in reception. And we can't wait to have you back in clinic. We can't wait you back to have you back in person. Yeah, me too. It's been a long, long few months for all of us. Thanks for having me.